I come from a family of questioners. And I have to say, this trend has only been accelerated by the number of devices in my life. The smartphone and the laptop and the iPhone and all of these devices that can actually answer many of my questions. And my husband's family is even worse. A walk in the woods with his mother, Polly, is sure to bring up a host of questions about naming and knowing the world. What is the name of this wildflower? Where should we stand to see the rainbow? How much ice cream can I eat after this hike to replace the calories I've burned? <laughs> and do I mean calories or kilocalories? And Polly is, of course, a scientist. She's an epidemiologist, and she's done research in pain management and emergency room medicine and a lot of data and statistics work. Um, and then in the other part of her life, she's a yoga teacher, a spiritual seeker and a questioner. And it's a very impressive combination. She brings this real yearning to know into so many aspects of her life and so many aspects of my husband's life. And sometimes her curiosity and her questioning has been a source of tension. In fact, my husband is famous or infamous in his family for having instructed his younger brothers to tell his parents just enough to keep them happy and no more. And this has perhaps only increased his mother's desire to know. And she's made it for years now on the crumbs of her son's experiences because just enough to keep her happy is not enough. So she moves through the world with endless curiosity, and she sometimes has called an open laptop computer the answer machine. She is an expert webcomber, and she teases out the detailed information about everything with a few clicks. The name of the wildflower, the location of the rainbow, and the digestion of cream and fat, it's all there. Or is it? I wanted to speak with you this morning about the great answer machines of two very human disciplines, theology and science. Both offer us ways of approaching fundamental human questions about life and the universe and everything. Both offer ways to feed that hunger, that deeply human hunger to know. That hunger that Brother Guy called as deep and important as our hunger for food. Because if we don't feed that hunger, we are being starved of curiosity, of wonder, of something very important to our humanity. And there is great history in this contrast. In some ways, it's kind of a setup, right, to put science and spirituality on trial together, but to do so in a church, someone in a robe talking about it. We're going to be a little biased here, right? But most of all, in this, in this setup, I think there's a lot of complexity. And to me, complexity means conversation. Not necessarily conversion, but conversation. And one conversation that was really helpful for me was one I listened in on with Brother Guy and Father George Coignier, who were interviewed, as I said earlier, by Krista Tippett on the Speaking of Faith radio program. And I hope many of you are familiar with this. It's also available on, as a podcast for your devices. And so I shared a story from this interview that stayed with me about Brother Guy's experience showing slides of Saturn in upcountry Kenya on a slide projector powered by car batteries. Brother Guy is the curator of meteorites at the Vatican Observatory. And Father George is the president of the Vatican Observatory Foundation. And both are Jesuits part of a Catholic monastic order 
founded by St. Ignatius in the 1500s. And St. Ignatius founded the Jesuit order to be monks without cells, monks out doing their business in the world, and their vocation and their calling is to find God in all things. In the interview, once Brother Guy and Father George have kind of established their credentials as scientists, they speak about their faith. And they don't set up science and spirituality in conflict. And this is, I think, what you have to expect from Vatican-employed astronomers. But they speak with great love of the interrelatedness of their theology and their science, about the way that they have thought about the universe and learned about life in their quest to find God in all things. And I knew these were my kind of monks when first I found out that Brother Guy has appeared on the Stephen Colbert rapport. (laughs) That's a great sign. I think that's a really good sign. And then instead of quoting obscure Catholic theologians or Christian scripture, Brother Guy interrupted Krista at one point to quote Anne Lamott, that wise and cranky essayist and novelist, And so he quoted Anne Lamont, who once wrote, the opposite of faith is not doubt. The opposite of faith is certainty. And then Brother Guy says, right after he says that, he says, if you have certainty, well then, you don't really need faith, do you? Oh, I wonder about this, my spiritual friends. I wonder about the clouds of doubt and the rock of certainty and where I can place them on the map of my faith. I know I came to church looking for a rock upon which to build a meaningful life. I was hungry. I was starved for knowledge, for self-knowledge, for a deeper sense of purpose, for wise companions with which to share this journey of life, this journey of the spirit. But more than that, It was a time of real questioning in my life, and I wanted to use the church as the ultimate answer machine. I wanted to be with the answer people. And perhaps you are starting to laugh now, or at least smile, because of course I walked into a Unitarian Universalist church, and we are many, many things to many people, but we are not answer people. And far from being an answer machine, my church, my congregation, my faith, has come to be a place where I learn to hold the questions and where I build my faith in conversation with others around me. As Anne Lamont said, the opposite of faith is not doubt. My doubts are welcome in this spacious, old, sacred congregation. They're welcome in the box pews, and they're welcome by this flaming chalice among all of us here, and your doubts are welcome too. Because our doubts are part of who we are. It's part of being human. The opposite of faith is not doubt. The opposite of faith is certainty. If we had certainty, we wouldn't need faith. And haven't there been times in your life when certainty, not doubt, has really gotten you into trouble? My brother and I were once trapped, this was very recent, we were trapped in a heated argument about an issue of little importance, and isn't that always the way? We were engaged in a very heated argument about something of little importance. I'm pretty sure that we were arguing about whether or not the closed door button on the elevator, whether or not that actually does anything. (laughs) Does it just light up? 
and make you think that something's about to happen, and then the, or the doors open whenever they were going to open, they close whenever they were going to close. I don't know. But we were arguing about this, and I can't remember now whether I was on the they work or they don't work side, but I had just read a very long article on elevators in The New Yorker, and I was sure, and here are these three deadly words, I was sure that I was right. And like I said, I can't remember what side I was on, but those words, I was right. And my brother, his name is David, and he is often right, and he was sure that he was right. And within a second, we went from friendly conversation to the brink of shouting, and it happened just like that. And I guess that's one of the dangers of coming from a question, a questioning and curious family, that we got really invested after the questions in coming up with all of the right answers to those questions. We got very invested in sharing them in the right way, and in any case, being right. And this is still very important to me, and I wish it weren't as important to me, but it is. And so I'm arguing about my, with my brother about elevators, and there's suddenly no space in our conversation for doubt. There's only that concrete weight of certainty, dragging us both down, as sure as encasing our feet in cement. Down, down, down we go. And I hope none of you have ever been in this sinking situation. Realizing that you are more interested in being right than being in relationship. And I hesitate to say this, but this is not the right way to do things. <laughs> Unnecessary certainty is a trap that we spring on ourselves. It's a weight that we carry around and everywhere people keep telling us, put that down. Just put it down. Put down the need for dead certain certainty, for being right, and pick up the doubt. You'll be surprised at how little it weighs. It's like picking up a cloud or a rainbow. It's making space for a lot of questioning without a lot of dead certain right as rain answers. So I have good news for you today. Liberal religion is okay with doubt. We thrive with doubt. But because it's so nice to be right, that's what I learned in my family, I thought maybe I could go over to science and I could find some certainty there, some rock of surety over there in this part of the modern world. Maybe science could be my answer machine if liberal theology wasn't going to cut it. But then, like a wind in the door, like a breath of fresh air, come in Brother Guy and Father George saying, not in so many words, who are you kidding? Yes, science is a place for discovery and laws and mechanics. It's a place for bridges that stay up and 747s that fly around the world. But alas, science is still done by humans. And it too, say Brother Guy and Father George, it too is driven and propelled and pushed forward by doubt, not by certainty. In many ways, the foundation of science is constantly doubting what we think we know. And we even saw that this morning with the ice and the dry ice and the subliming. It's doubting what we think we know and moving forward anyway with our questions about the fundamental pieces of our experience, about what we've seen or what we think we've seen. The opposite of science is not doubt. It is certainty. If we had all the answers about life and the universe and everything, we wouldn't have much work to do in our laboratories either. So I come today with bad news about certainty. 
that divine and perfect realm, that answer to everything, that hope for a knowledge that is surer than sure. But I bring you good news about doubt. That human and imperfect world, show me your faith, show me your science, your theology, your astronomy, your slides of Saturn off of a car battery in Kenya, and I will show you your doubts, our doubts, and our shared humanity. Our all-too-human condition of humility and wonder and experimentation and mistakes and trying again. Because there is no answer machine. And each of these routes will only take us so far, but they are worthy of directing and sustaining our questions, of providing thoughtful lenses, microscopes or telescopes or kaleidoscopes, with which we feed our deep human hunger for knowing. To the natural philosopher, wrote the 18th century British astronomer, William Herschel, to the natural philosopher, there is no natural object unimportant or trifling. A mind that has once imbibed a taste for scientific inquiry has within itself an inexhaustible source of pure and exciting contemplations. I like the sound of that. One would think, he continues, one would think that Shakespeare had such a mind in view when he described a contemplative one finding tongues in trees, books in the running brooks, sermons in stones, and good in everything. Where the uninformed and uninquiring eye perceives neither novelty nor beauty, and here I think this astronomer is talking about the curious one, the doubtful one, and the faithful one. Unlike the uninformed and uninquiring eye who perceives neither novelty nor beauty, that curious and faithful and questioning person, well, she walks in the midst of wonders. Let us have eyes to see it and ears to hear it, and we too, we will walk in the midst of wonders. Amen, and blessed be.